Hopefully I'm driving my car better than this. <coughs> Good morning, everyone. Huh. Oh, there are people here. Good morning, everyone. Thank you. Good to see you. Good to have you here. And uh, nice to be at the point where we're singing Christmas carols. Oh, she's back. I can't uh, do this secretly. I was going to ask for prayer for Esther. She's uh, having surgery uh, on Tuesday. So uh, I would ask that you would pray for her. I was hoping she was still downstairs when I gave that little announcement, but she's back. So I may be in trouble. Um, also, um, little uh, Megan Pattison, please be praying for her health. She's had some health, ongoing health issues from birth uh, that seem to be uh, kind of plaguing again and some upcoming tests and so on that are going on. And it's, it's uh, quite a thing for, for Megan, especially, and for her family. So I'd ask that you pray for, for Megan. Um, Sam, thanks for reminding us of the downtown outreach on the um, 21st. Um, I want to remind everybody that a year ago when we all came out from Northbrook and went downtown and did the outreach on that cold night and gave out little candy canes and tracts and so on, and, and you don't have to preach, you don't have to do anything. Just come and sing, just come and stand and watch. It's, it's, uh, it, it's an opportunity, but... Um, Right there on the street with us last year, a lady who was just totally lost in her life came to Jesus Christ right there. Um, and she has been going on. Um, so uh, she's had her struggles, lots of them, but she has found hope in Jesus Christ. And uh, so that's how important that is. And if you could be part of that, just come and sing some Christmas carols. If you just, just come for a half an hour and go, that's fine. If you come and stay the whole time, then we would welcome that too. So uh, that's really important. And the other thing, and I don't want to fill the morning with uh, special announcements, but um, where's Jane? Jane's in Sunday school. I saw her walk in there, but I was going to get her to stand so you know who she is. We have a, a lending library right here. We never talk about it. It's one of those secret things at Northbrook, right? It's like we don't want anybody to know about the lending library, but just so you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of great books in there that you can take home and borrow and read. And there's dozens of DVDs in there. There's actually probably some VHS stuff there if you're still living in the 80s. But you, you can take that stuff home and, and watch it. You can borrow it. And there's really, I'm telling you, there's really great books there. There's fiction, there's nonfiction, there's in between, you know. There's, there's all kinds of stuff there. You can borrow that to take it home and read it. There's all kinds of kids' books. There's some deep theology books, if that's what floats your boat. There's all kinds of good stuff in there. So I want to just mention it because we, we, we don't give it any attention, and we should. Um, so those are the special announcements for the, for the morning, which were totally unplanned. All right, let's, uh, let's turn to the Lord and pray. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, our Savior. And uh, we thank you that we can sing, and especially at this time of the year when we have opportunity to, to speak of our Savior, uh, the one who came, God becoming a man, that he may come and die for sinners. I pray this morning as uh, we open your word and we look at it that you would help me to be clear. I pray that you would help us to understand clearly. And I pray that through the help of the Holy Spirit that our lives would be impacted as we look into the Word of God. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I want to speak, and I, I struggle with what to call this message, but I'm going to call it The Invisible War, and I've stolen that title from a book by Donald Gray Barnhouse that I read many years ago, uh, which for the most part is a, is a very good book. Um, and it speaks of the kind of war that goes on in spiritual realms behind the scenes that we don't get to see. Now, the first thing I'm going to ask you is, have you ever been in a fight? Have you ever been in a fight, physical fight? Other people have. Uh, Ime was when he was younger. So, <laughs> well, when I, when I was, there was a bully in our school, and uh, his name was, last name was McDonald, and it wasn't me, and he wasn't related to me. I don't want to give his first name, because he has such a unique first name that he could probably find him somewhere. Uh, in fact, I, I did creep him on Facebook the other day, and he's still alive, and I think I could take him, like I really do. Because <laughs> he, he's not looking as physically fit as, as, as I probably would have thought. But back in grade six, this guy bullied me and a bunch of, bunch of other guys all the time, like on the way home to, from school. He blocked my path. You know, you're not getting by, you're not getting by, back and forth, back and forth. Just frustrate you until the point that you almost, well, not almost, you did, you cried. So this is what his goal was, to see how many guys he could bully. And he was like a, just like everybody just couldn't stand. There's another guy who's on CBC Radio, and he's a reporter here. And every time he comes on, I have to turn it off, because his brother was the worst bully I ever knew in my whole life. And his brother just tormented, tormented, tormented all the guys in the school. And he was bigger, and he was older, and he was way dumber, because he was like probably five grades behind where he should have been. And because of that, he would bully us young guys. But this McDonald guy, so one day I said, what, when will you stop this? And he said, I'll stop this when you fight me. I said, all right, I'll fight you. He says, okay, tomorrow after school we'll have a fight. Okay, now I'm in grade six, or five, five, I'm in grade five, I'm just, I'm just a little kid. But it felt like I was a bigger kid than that, but... All right, so it was all set up, and not on the school grounds, because you know you're in trouble if you fight on the school grounds. So there was a field near our home, and we decided we were going to go to this field, and we are going to have it out. We are going to have this fight, and it's going to be over once and for all. Now I was bigger than this guy. And I said, all right, fight. I'm just running at him. I'm going to jump on top of him, and I'm going to knock him down and lie on top of him, and it's over. And it worked. I did. And he goes, okay, that's not a fight. In the days of Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali, a fight was this, Dukes. So I get up, I'm thinking, hmm. And, you know, little kid, grade five, jumped on another little kid in grade five, pinned him, and we're good. But no, he wants this. So everybody's like, fight, 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 fight. I still see them all standing around. Still see, it's like it happened yesterday. I can still see it. So we decide we're going to start slugging at each other. Well, I'll tell you what, he got two. One left eye, one right eye. I went through the next two weeks with two black eyes. The embarrassment, it's not, it's not, my, it's not my greatest moment in life. So I had to go back to school. I had two black eyes, and I think they hung around for like the rest of the school year. And so I really, really got beat up by this bully. Well, I asked you if you're ever in a fight. I, I, I didn't count the hands. Stick them up again. Okay. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You are part of a fight, whether you know it or not. You're in a fight. You're in a conflict. In fact, I'm speaking about this 
the one that we fight against does not want me to even say this stuff today. He doesn't want to hear this. He doesn't want you to hear this. So I, I've, had, I've struggled all morning with different things, with asthma, with dizziness, with all kinds of things have gone on this morning, and I'm thinking, this is part of the fight. It really is. You may not know it, but, and you might try to steer clear of it if you're a Christian, but you can't. And Daniel is going to get a clear picture of this fight in Daniel chapter 10. We're continuing in Daniel. You are in a conflict if you are a child of God. Just by virtue of who you are, you are in a conflict. You are in a battle. There is a war going on, and there's an enemy, and he is on the prowl. He hates God and everything to do with him, and you have to do with him, and you are stuck in the crossfires. It's just the way it is. You know, it's hard to get surveys in Canada, but surveys in the U.S., and I'm not going to go into any numbers here, but most people in the U.S., probably in Canada too, believe in God. Well, that's nice. But a lot fewer believe that there's a devil. Really. Most Americans believe that there's a heaven. But few believe that there's a hell. You know, there's a couple of quotes that I put up. First of all, C.S. Lewis says this, humanity falls into two equal but opposite errors concerning the devil. There are those who don't take him seriously enough, and there are those who take him way too seriously. You know, there's the side of denial, which it sounds like a lot of people who might believe in heaven are in denial, that there's a hell. There is. The Bible teaches one, it teaches the other. And people who want to say, yes, I believe in God. Oh, yes, God is good. God looks after me. I talk to God and all this stuff. What about the devil? Well, no. <laughs> it's kind of a made-up story. Well, the Bible teaches that there's both. And they're in opposition to each other. So there are people who are in denial, and that's, that's a dangerous place to be. But the other side that's m even as just as dangerous are those who take the devil way too seriously. They see the devil in everything. They see the devil in every little thing that goes on in their life. I mean, the devil's after me. That's why I had that car accident. The devil's after me. That's why I got this chest cold. The devil's after me because of this. The devil's in behind that and behind this and that. And they, and they just torture themselves, obsessing over the devil. But here's the thing. We do have an enemy. And it is the devil. And we can't see him. Now, the most dangerous enemy you can have is one you can't see. It really is. There's an interesting, and I can't remember which war it was. It was one of the wars in early days of Israel, probably in the 60s. And Egypt and a number of the Arab countries were coming up against Israel. And Israel got themselves on one side of a hill, and they told every man to bring your lawnmower, your chainsaw, you bring anything that makes the noise of an engine with you. And at the most opportune time, we're going to hide behind the hill where nobody can see us, and we will start every engine we've got. Lawnmowers. Well, they didn't have snowblowers, but lawnmowers and anything that they had. Cars, trucks. And they made this humongous noise. There was very few of them. But the enemy turned and ran away because they were terrified. Why? Because they could hear this army, this great, huge army that's going to come over the hill and crush them. An army that they couldn't see. 
the most dangerous army that you can have, or the most dangerous enemy you can have, is one that you can't see, because they're going to spring up over the hill. And if you're not ready for them, you're in trouble. And the devil's that type of enemy. And you don't want to deny that there's an enemy lurking behind the hill. Some Christians don't engage in spiritual warfare because they're engaged in other things. They're too busy doing other things. Uh, like, okay, leave me out of this. I don't even know why you're talking about this this morning. Like, I'm just, I don't, I'm just cool. I just want to go along. I don't even want to be part of this whole thing. Well, you are in it. If you're a child of God, you were in it. And you were part of it. John White, anybody remember John White from back in, the, in my early days as a Christian? John White had written a couple of books. One was called The Fight. And this is a quote from that book. It says, he says, Have no delusions about the reality of demons and their hostility. They will also oppose you as you obey Christ. If you play a cool and decide not to be a fanatic about Christianity, you will have no trouble from them at all. But if you're serious about Christ being your Lord and God, you can expect opposition. If you're a serious Christian, you are going to have serious opposition. If we're serious as a church about obeying God, if we're serious about taking this book seriously and obeying what it says, we will have opposition. It might not walk through the front door and terrorize us all. It might be just some hideous little things that creep in. But be aware that as we walk more and more with the Lord, we will have more and more opposition. So Daniel got some cosmic insight here into a bully, the devil and his cohorts. This is kind of like pulls the curtain off the invisible and you're going to get to see it. So Daniel chapter 10 we're looking at this morning. That's kind of the prologue of what's coming up. There's a prophetic vision concerning all the future battles and recent futures uh, that are now past and future future that we haven't seen yet will come out in Daniel chapter 11 and then chapter 12 is an, ep an epilogue. So I've broken things out into, I actually had three, three points and then I thought, no, I have to have a fourth point to cheer us all up at the end. So uh, concerning problem, a commanding presence, a cont contending powers and the Christians conquer. First of all, the concerning problem. And I, I put the, the text up and, and I took David Hansen's um, advice yesterday and I'm, I'm keeping my slides to a minimum and we're just going to look at good sized text that you can look at up there. Let's read chap uh, chapter 10 verses 1 to 3. If you have your Bible you can open that because it's always good that way you can make your own notes in your Bible but if you don't I put it up here for you. In the third year of Cyrus king of Persia a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was Bel called Belteshazzar. Remember that was Daniel's Babylonian name Belteshazzar. <coughs> The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat, no wine came to my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all until three whole weeks were fulfilled. So here's Daniel, goes through three weeks, no decent food, and no bathing. So, I have a story on that, but I won't tell it today. He was in the later part of his life. Daniel's about 86 at this point in time. Um, he's, he's weeping, and he's mourning, and he hasn't eaten. 
So why is he weeping? Well, I, what I like about the scriptures here, it, it gives you the time. It, you know, we, we, we were talking, a group of us down in the fellowship room last week, and, and Ime said, I love the Bible, it's an amazing book. And I said, yeah, it is an amazing book. But, and as I looked at this, I thought, this is an amazing book because it tells me exactly what the time is at this, at this point in time. Daniel's about 85, 86 years old, and he's weeping. It's the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, if you look at that, the Jews have been back in Jerusalem for two years at this point in time. Remember they were taken captive, and Daniel was one of them, 70 years ago. They were all hauled into Babylon, and they were slaves, basically, to the king, and then, then they had children, and, they, and 70 years go by, and then at the end of 70 years, they're to go back into the land. But something Daniel saw in a vision and he prayed for had come to pass. In, in, in Ezra chapter 1, we learn that in the first year of Cyrus, an edict was given for the Jews to return. But then, and I think this is why Daniel's upset, only a small portion of them returned to Jerusalem. Less than 50,000 of them went back. Now there would have been millions of them, or at least hundreds of thousands, for sure, <coughs> because they were all taken captive Forget the ones that were slain, but 70 years later, they had children, they had, they had become part of the culture, they were absorbed into the culture, they really became paganized, they raised their children there, they had more children, and they had businesses and so on, and they were probably hearing words that, ah, you know what, those guys that went back, like, <sighs> I know that's where God wants me, but he really wants me here running my business, I mean, I got this really nice shoe factory going on here, like, you know, making sandals by the dozen. And if I go back there, I got to start hauling rocks away from that old temple. I just don't know. I think it's easier to just stay here than it is to go back where God, I know he wants me there, but, you know, I, I'm doing okay here. And so only 49,600 of them go back. And the rest of them stay. And the ones that went back are saying, where's the rest of them? Man, this is a lot of work. And it took them seven months just to clear rubble away from, from where everything was just ravaged by the Babylonians previously, 70 years ago. So they're back there working hard, and things aren't going that well. They brought this dude, Zerubbabel. I mean, if you really want to punish your kid, call him Zerubbabel. But this guy was a, of the lineage of David. And he went back, and, and he's going to lead them as, he's going to be their king, and, and it's not going all that well. And then their enemies are hassling them. They're being made fun of. It's just not going well for them. And work came to a halt. And you read a lot of this in Nehemiah. And you think, oh, wow. But you know what? The ones that went back were obeying God. The ones that went back were where God wanted them to be. 49,000. The rest of them were so involved and so absorbed into that pagan culture that that was their now, their comfort zone. I'm not going to go where God wants me to go. I'm just going to be comfortable. And I have to ask, is that where you were? Are you willing, if it makes you uncomfortable, to go and do what God wants you to do? Or are you going to say, you know what, I got a gig going that's pretty good for me right now. I think I'll just stay where I am. I hear the call. I know what I should do. I know I should talk to this person. I know I should go to church. I know I should do this. I know I should read my Bible. I know I should do all of that stuff. But you know, things are going pretty good. I think I'll just stay right where I am. 
and you become paganized, as these people did. You come and slip further and further and further away from God. And I believe that's why Daniel is weeping. He's looking around and he's seeing all these Jewish people. He's walking by their businesses. He sees their children. He sees moms and dads and he sees them all walking around Babylon saying, you guys should not be comfortable here. We're prisoners here. Freedom is in Jerusalem. Yet you're choosing to stay a prisoner. Why? And it brings him to tears. I'm in so much trouble when I look at the clock. <coughs> so Daniel's praying. And he's about to be let in on a, on a cosmic battle. He's engaged in this. He's, be, he's on his knees. What does Daniel do when he's troubled by things? He prays. We've read this so many times. Daniel, a man of prayer. I think I used to sing that as a Sunday school kid. Daniel is a man of prayer, praying three times daily, blah, 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 blah. I can't remember the rest. But Daniel was a man of prayer. Every time trouble came, Daniel defaulted to prayer. What do you do when trouble comes? Where's the first place you go in a spiritual battle? Sadly, most churches go and have a board meeting and then they set up a committee. Let's deal with this problem. Oh, but don't you have a prayer meeting? Yeah, but... This is real world, real world stuff I mean, we were dealing with here. Hmm. You need to have a prayer meeting. Christians, a lot of Christians, do the same thing, only your committee is a little smaller. Your committee is on the end of the phone or on the end of the text. Oh, life is miserable. Oh, blah, 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 blah. I got this trouble, I got this trouble. Oh. Complain, 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 gripe, 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 gripe. And then... Did you think about praying for that? But this is real. Come on, I got a real problem here. Daniel knew that every problem had to go before God. If you got real problems, you got a real God, you can take your real problems too and get some real answers to your real problems. Get some real help for your real problems. And Daniel knew that. He caught on to this. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, it says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Now, I don't know about you, but the word that stuck out for me at least three times in this is pray, prayers, praying. Pray, pray, pray. You know, our, uh, I, I mean, I'm excited about it, but our worst attendant meeting is our prayer meeting. It really is. And I'm not saying that to guilt you. I'm saying that that is a temperature probe on where some of us are. I, I'm guilty myself. I've missed as well. But when I look at it and think, what really, really will bring change into your life, will bring salvation to your kids, will bring hope to a hopeless world, is prayer. It's not this. It's not coming here. It's not coming tonight to the sing, and I hope you do come. But if you're really serious about wanting to reach somebody in your family, if you're really serious about wanting to see the troubles in your life dealt with, you need to come and pray. You need to be praying. Daniel took it very, very seriously, and that, that's what he did. The next thing we see here is, as he's praying, we see this commanding presence. Suddenly this happens. Heaven breaks in on him. Chapter 10, verse 4. Now on the 24th day, uh, first month, I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris. There were two rivers in Babylon, the Tigris and the Euphrates. I, looked, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded in the gold of Euphaz. 
His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his vo uh, words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so they fled and hid themselves. So Daniel sees this man, he's clothed in linen, and all of these other qualities that he sees of him, he's a fearful vision. Well, Daniel's friends didn't see him, but they, they knew something was going on, and they hid. They just said, I'm getting out of Dodge here, I'm going, and they took off. Daniel fell on his face. Now remember, 86-year-old man falling on his face is not usually a good thing. But he falls on his face before this being. It's as if he's now seeing and in the, in, in the presence of God himself. And he brings himself low and humble and terrified in the presence of God. I, you know, I get kind of annoyed when I see, you know, turn on some Christian show and it's somebody who on the operating table actually died and saw God and came back to write a book about it. I'm thinking, if you saw God, you're not writing a book about it. You're either dead or you're humble, one or the other. There are others in the scriptures that saw God. Jo Job, when he did in, in 45, uh, 42 verses 5 and 6, he said he abhorred himself, repents in sackcloth and ashes. Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am undone. Peter said to Jesus Christ when he understood who he was, he said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. What I am becomes very apparent if I see God. Revelation, there's a group of people who are so terrified of the, of the lamb that in Revelation chapter 6, 15 and 17, they beg for the rocks to fall on them and crush them rather than be face to face with God. To be face to face with God is a terrifying thing. But Daniel sees this being. Who is it? Some say it's Gabriel. Some say it's Michael. Some say it's another angel. Many good commentators suggest that it's Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus Christ. And based on the context and cross-references, it seems like it could be. I'm not so sure myself, but I, uh, that, that's, that's a lot of, pretty much every commentator I read said that. But see, John, now, I, remember what we just read. Just remember the description that we just read here. It says, I lifted up my eyes and behold a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with gold of euphaz. His body was like burl, his face the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. Now, in Revelation chapter 1 verse 11 it says, this is Jesus Christ himself speaking. He says, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. This is John writing it. And having turned, I saw the seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, and girded about his chest with a golden band, his hair, uh, or his head and hair were white like wool, white as snow, his eyes were a flame of fire, his feet were like fine brass, refined in a furnace, his voice like the sound of many waters. Now, it pretty much sounds, other than the hair, sounds like the same person. It really does. It sounds like the same person. So it's possible that that's who it was. And then John, when he saw this, he fell at his feet dead when he saw him. So why did Daniel see this? First of all, he saw this because it's about to be revealed to him the future of Israel. All of the battles, the future battles, near future and far future, is going to be revealed to him. And God wanted Daniel to know who's in charge here. It's not the first time that we see the Lord Jesus Christ come 
and appear before a man in the Old Testament. I think back in Joshua, and it's in chapter 5, just as they're about to, to go into the battle of Jericho, Joshua, who's the, who's the general, is going along, and he meets somebody with a sword drawn. And the sword's going back, and he says, Oh, are you for us, or are you for our enemies? He said, Neither. What? It's not what I wanted to hear. He said, Neither. But as the commander of the Lord of hosts, the commander-in-chief, I have come. This is likely none other than the Lord Jesus Christ who has come and appeared to Joshua. Joshua saw the commander of the Lord's army. You know, for us, we're in this battle, we better know who our commander is. Joshua had to get a glimpse of who his commander is. We're in a spiritual battle, as I said, and we better know who our battle, who our battle leader is, who our commander-in-chief is. It's Jesus Christ. And if you don't know who your commander is, you will get bloodied and bruised and beaten. When we have Jesus as our commander, the scriptures tell us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says we should be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is commander-in-chief. For the Christian, he is our commander. You know, here's the problem I have. Maybe you have the same. Problems come. I gaze at my problems. Glance at the Lord. Gaze at my problems. Glance at the Lord. Gaze at my problems. How do I fix this? What am I going to do with this? Oh, I don't have enough to fix this. Oh, how am I going to do this? Oh, Lord, pray, Lord, help me. Oh, how am I going to do this? What am I going to do? When the scripture tells me to do just the opposite, gaze upon the Lord, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Oh, you have that problem, Lord? Thank you. I'm looking at you. Can you help? Yeah, you can. Of course you can help with this. Thanks. I'm just going to look at you. I'm going to just trust and look at you. That's what we're supposed to do. But I do the opposite oftentimes. I'll admit it. I heard somebody speak one time of King Hezekiah. What did he do? He tried to fix his problems like a man does. I'll do it myself. I've got a home hardware. I'll pick up what I need, and I'll fix it myself and make a mess of it. When I should be looking to the Lord, the author and finisher of my faith. And just a glance. Yeah, this is another one. Yeah, and I've got five more over here coming. So, but I'm looking to you. That's what the Lord wants. That's, he's our commander-in-chief. Then we see Daniel comes in touch with, with something that's really, really amazing here. And I said, uh, that's commanding presence. Okay. Sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry for the small font, but you can follow along in your Bible if you can. Uh, Daniel chapter uh, 10, verse 10. Contending powers. Daniel's words are heard, and it says, Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees on the palms of, and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, Daniel, O man, greatly beloved, understand the words I speak to you, and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. 
for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. And when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground because I, and became speechless, rather. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And then he said, Do you know, uh, do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. So Daniel was shaken by this vision. But what relief must have come to him when this being touched him and said, man, greatly beloved. You know, if you're a believer, you are greatly beloved. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we shall be called children of God. In the Bible, there are certain designations that are given to special people. In 2 Chronicles, we hear that Abraham is called the friend of God. David is called a man after God's own heart. John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, this is the greatest man born to women, to woman, in John, uh, or sorry, in Matthew chapter 11, verse, or 1, verse 11, or 11, verse 11, sorry. Only two people in the Bible are given this term, greatly beloved. John, called by, in the scriptures, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and Daniel, in this chapter. Interesting, both of them are given to write for us apocalyptic literature. They have told, they've given us the look into the future. And both of them are called beloved of God. So this angel was dispatched. I, sorry, that's a sidetrack. But this angel was dispatched as soon as Daniel prayed. It says, as soon as you prayed, I was dispatched to come. Except I had a problem. This is why you were stuck here for three weeks, Daniel. I ran into the prince of Persia. And I required assistance from Michael. So when I read this and I think, oh, well, we said that that person has the gold sash and the eyes of fire and so on. That's obviously a pre-incarnate view of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I read this and say, hmm, contended with the Prince of Persia 21 days, not able to come until I got help from Michael. Mm. Really? Like the Prince of Persia is going to withstand the Lord? Uh, I kind of don't think so. And then I kept thinking about it and reading about it. But the first one just appeared before him and spoke. This one, it says, suddenly a hand touched me. It doesn't say this, but quite possibly a different being came and touched him. I believe he saw the Lord Jesus the first time. 
And I believe this is probably Gabriel or another angel that came and touched him. And if you read it, it doesn't say this is a different being, but it's, it's almost like two different phases of the thing, where the first one, he, he encounters this, this shining being with the gold sash and all of those descriptions that fit the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he's been touched by this one who said, listen, just so you know, as soon as you started to pray, I was on the way, but I ran into problems with the prince of Persia. And Michael, another angel, came to help me out. And now I'm here. Warren Wearsby uh, raises the possibility as well that these are two different beings. Um, there was a, a vision that resemble, resembled the king of glory and the one who touched Daniel, likely a uh, an angel like Gabriel. So who's the prince of Persia? Well, first of all, he's not human because it takes two mighty angels to fight and subdue him. Uh, Daniel has a look here into, a, into something significant. This is a spiritual battle that goes on, an invisible war that's going on behind the scenes. He's a demon. He's not a human king. Cyrus is the king. This is the prince, the prince of Persia. You know, Jesus called Satan the prince of this world. John chapter 14, verse 30, and John chapter 12, verse 31. Paul called Satan the prince of the power of the air, who was at work in the children of disobedience. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. So we have to understand what the battle is. Not only is there a God, but there is a devil. And the devil has his gang of forces and demons that fight and work with him. At a time in the past, there was a war in heaven where Satan elevated himself and said, I will be like the Most High. And God says, no, you won't. You're nothing like the Most High. And he's out of there. But when he fell, he led with him a third of the angels that followed him. Now, how many would that be? Don't know. And not to really be smart about it, but when John talks about how many angels there are in heaven, he says that I saw there were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Those are the ones who are worshiping God around the throne. He's just kind of taking a shot at how many there are. Like if you said to me, how many people were at the football game? in Lagos, because that's where you get 10,000 times 10,000. If I said, oh, I, I've never been in a crowd like that, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. You mean like millions? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, he saw millions of angels. So if that's the ones that remained, there would be many that followed Satan. And they're at work in this world to destroy you. They're at work in this world to try to destroy the work of God in this world. We're deceived if we're just going through the, the, wor the world and reading you know, on Google News or Yahoo News or Chronicle Herald and say, oh, look at the awful things that are going on in China and the US and Russia and Ukraine and, and so on and so on. And you leave out the idea that there's a spiritual battle going on behind all of this. There are forces of evil that are behind all of this. It says in uh, First John chapter 5, verse 19, it says, we know we are the sons of God and the world lies under the sway of the wicked one. There is a wicked one and he is controlling the world system. Daniel prayed and he got a lot more than what he prayed for. He got revelation of future battles. He got insight into a heavenly battle. And something struck me as I read this and studied this chapter. We mess around with petty little unimportant things when God wants us to know great truths. 
when he wants to know that you are in a fight and you better take it seriously. I am the commander-in-chief and you need to follow me. That's what he wants. And whether you realize it or not, you are part of that conflict. And if you're not aware of it, then the devil has you right where you are. If you just dismiss it, then he has you right where you are. Now, I'm not going to leave you there. Oh, there we go. Scripture says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This is the Christian. This is you. This is me. Paul writes this. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. In a battle we don't even see. We are wrestling in this battle. I hope you are listening to your commander. Daniel was strengthened by who? The God of heaven sent an angel to strengthen him. God will provide you the strength for this battle. He will provide you the weapons for this war. So as I read through this and I thought, you know, even if Satan did take one-third of the angels with him, two-third of them stayed. There's two-third of them on the right side of this battle. The Bible says that he that is in you, that's Jesus Christ, if you're a believer, is greater than he who is in the world. That's Satan. That's a precious truth to cling to. Memorize and, and remember that one. If you're a believer, a child of God, you are on the winning side no matter what. There's no defeat. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. And I'm going to close with these verses. And uh, actually a couple more. It says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? I don't know what you're all going through. I know what some of you are going through. But it falls into some of this stuff. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, disease, poverty, whatever it might be. It says, will those things separate us from the love of God? Verse 36, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But, but, in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. We are on the right side of this battle. For I am convinced that neither uh, death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. No longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Romans uh, 8.37 in the New King James says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. To survive, there are two things. There's so much I could tell you. But there are two things that Ime mentioned last week when he spoke on freedom. The first one is scripture. What does, what does the angel say to Daniel in the very last part of this? He says, but I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. You know, this book will keep you from deception. This is truth. In a world of deception, you have in your house, your hand, your lap, whatever you have right now, in your phone, you have the word of truth, the scripture of truth. In a world filled with lies, you have the truth. This book will keep you from deception. It'll keep you from 
Satan's Deception. It's absolute truth. It's an amazing book, as was said last week. The second thing is prayer. Daniel was on his knees. When you pray, when you're in a fight, you're hauling out the big guns. Now, there's other people that are old like me. Do you guys remember Indiana Jones, the first one, like the, the original one, the good one? <coughs> Do you ever remember when he went to the market and the guy comes out, ha, with the knife? And he just goes, boom, fight's over. He brought the big gun out, fight's over. You bring out prayer against Satan, fight's over. You just ask God to intervene. When God intervenes, the fight's over. One verse to close with. And before I go there, I'm going to say that no matter, at all costs, our enemy wants to keep you from this book. Our enemy wants to keep you from prayer. Our enemy wants you to be so busy you don't have time to read, you don't have time to pray, you don't think to pray, you just get distracted by all the problems and the cares around you. That's what he wants. Because he knows when you pull this out and when you pull out prayer, you've hauled out the big guns against the enemy. So I would put it to you. Pray. Read the scriptures. Know the word of truth, the scripture of truth. Finally, there's so much more I could say, but I'm not going to. For that, you can be thankful, but I want to read these verses as we close, and then we're going to sing a song. It says in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, and I want you to listen to, to these verses. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all, stand. Stand, therefore, having, your, uh, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication or prayer for all the saints. Father, thank you this morning that in spite of being in a war, we have great weapons, great power, because we have a great God. I thank you, Father, that greater is he that is in us, those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, than he that is at work in this world. Help us, Lord, to be serious about the battle we face. Help us to look to you. Help us to be humble, to pray, to look to you first, fixing our eyes on Jesus rather than on our problems. Help us, Lord, to walk with you. Help us to pray and to be in the scripture of truth. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here this morning who doesn't know you, Father, what a dangerous place that they are finding themselves in. Without God, without hope in this world, 
Father, may they look to come to know the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and find the hope and the life that is found in him. Pray as we leave today, Lord, that you would part us with your blessing and that your word would be enriching to our souls and help us to walk with you through this day. In Jesus' name, amen.